Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, a Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I do expect many people probably don't uh, actually get around to listening to the podcast on Christmas Day. A reminder, this program is uh, brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, or you can uh, mail in a donation to P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Or become one of our recurring Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Uh, well, uh, we've got a bit of a treat here. Uh, this is an episode of Nightbeat that I didn't actually think was circulating. It was not listed on the Digital Deli FDP log in uh, circulation. I'd seen it out there, but I listened to the start of it. It began at a rescue mission, and I checked the uh, synopsis on Radio Gold Index, so I thought it was a duplicate of that episode. But on further review, it's actually a completely different episode that goes in a completely different direction. So uh, we're going to go ahead and bring it to you. Uh, This originally aired November the 16th of 1951. This comes from that huge gap in Nightbeat where uh, there were only, as far as I knew, four of the 41 episodes in circulation. So this one is number five. And the title is Lost Souls. Now screen actor Frank Lovejoy comes to the NBC microphone as reporter Randy Stone on on Nightbeat. But first, let me tell you about our other mystery features on NBC. Saturday night, Brian Donlevy brings you international intrigue as he accepts another dangerous assignment. Then on Sunday, Mike Waring as the Falcon becomes involved in a murder. Later, Martin Kane, Private Eye, featuring Lloyd Nolan, investigates a mysterious case concerning jewel smuggling. Yes, stay tuned to the NBC Radio Network. The NBC Radio Network is now entering its second quarter century as a great entertainment medium. And now from Hollywood, it's Nightbeat on NBC. NBC presents transcribed Frank Lovejoy in Nightbeat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. And sooner or later, on any given night, you'll find me wandering across a neon-lighted wilderness on South State Street known as Skid Row, where all good dreams come home to die. That night, the moment I reached the street, I knew that something was decidedly different. Up ahead was Rescue Mission, A shabby little store with a crudely crayon sign offering salvation and vegetable soup to one and all. Tonight, Rescue Mission had a lineup of lost souls half a block long. I went over to see what the excitement was all about, but a bearded old gent in gym shoes and an army overcoat held together by safety pins barred my path. Don't get rambunctious, buddy boy. Stand in line like a good soldier. Yeah, well, I... 
I just want to get through Stand to... in line or I warn you, I'll wake up. You'll what? And you'll be gone. Huh? Kindly remember you're just an insignificant figment of my magnificent dream. Oh. That old wives' tale about pinching yourself, and if you feel pain, then you're awake. Yeah. There's nothing to it. Observe, figment of my imagination, I pinch myself. Ouch! The pain is fearful, and still I dream that the rescue mission on Skid Row is serving filet mignon. Yeah, it was true. Some unknown benefactor had contributed 200 bucks to the mission with specific instruction that the stakes must be at least two inches thick. It was like that all up and down Skid Row. The same source had seen to it that the A-1 flop house had clean sheets and pillowcases for the first time in the memory of living man. And when I dropped into the corner tavern to see how things were going in the cold beer department, the bartender stuck a champagne cocktail under my nose. Here you are, sport. Hey, hey, wait. It's for free. Bon appetite. Huh? That's French. It means you should enjoy it. Oh, oh swell. A Santa Claus comes to Skid Row. Look, Santa Claus wouldn't give you a two-cent seltzer. It's that beat-up dame at the end of the bar. Her? Yeah, she must have rolled one of them visiting bankers from Iowa. She was perched on a stool at the far end of the bar, next to the lighted jukebox and the empty phone booth and the stacks of beer cases. A bleached-out tootsie with a gardenia in her hair. As I walked toward her, the shifting lights of the jukebox turned her face into a multicolored mask. First blue, then amber, then rose, and then blue again. And then I was beside her. And the illusion of a mask was even stronger. The black phony eyelashes fastened to the heavily powdered skin. The slash of red to signify the mouth. And out of the blue eye shadow, her eyes moving restlessly. So you're the good fairy, huh? Huh? Oh, yeah, I guess that's what I am, all right. One second, sing out. Yeah, I'll do that. Now, what's the celebration? My birthday. That's the celebration. Well, happy birthday, many of them. Many of them. <laughs> you got quite a sense of humor, hon. Hmm? Good fairy. I like that. I waved my wand and the bums ate steaks and drank champagne and slept on clean sheets, huh? Well, I got news for you. You can wave a jerky wand till you're blue in the face. It also takes dough. Eight hundred bucks. I hocked everything but my red flannels, like they say. I bet. But I always dreamed of something like this. A fantasy, huh? Is that what they call it? I gotta remember that. That's a good word. But now, whenever the 10th of November comes around, all these bums are gonna remember tonight and say, Hey, this is Ruthie's birthday. I'll be famous for two whole blocks. Me and George Washington. The 10th of November. This is the 9th. Uh, here's two bits. Will you put it in the jukebox and get something lively for a change? Why didn't you wait for the 10th? Because the truth of the matter is, if I waited for the 10th, there wouldn't be no celebration. Why? Will you go to that jukebox already and get some... Hey, what's that? It's the phone booth over there. Will somebody get the phone? Well, I won't answer it. I won't. I won't. Hey, what's with you? I just won't answer it. That's all you... You understand? It can ring all night and I won't answer it. I just won't. Ruthie, come back here. I looked back at the bar and saw that in her terror, the dame had forgotten her purse. I opened it to see if I could find any identification. The card in her wallet said, 
Ruth Martin, and an address in St. Louis. I also found a hotel key with the name Royal Hotel, Chicago, Illinois, stamped on the leather holder. I also found a nice, neat 32 revolver, brand new, fully loaded, ready for business. They call this hotel the Royal for the same reasons they call a fat man tiny. I parked myself in the cramped little lobby and waited. A little before 11, Ruth Martin entered the lobby, asked for a key at the desk, and rang for the automatic elevator. I went on over. Hi, Ruth. Uh, oh, it's you. Yeah, me. Uh, your purse. Thanks. I went back to the bar and it was gone. I thought you turned out to be a common thief. Uh, you'll find everything there. I didn't even steal a bullet from the gun. Well, that's real considerate, and I thank you kindly. Oh, this elevator takes all night. You're not registered under your right name. I couldn't be bothered with the press and those awful autograph hounds. You know how it is. You want to tell me how it is, Ruthie? Uh, here's my elevator. Thanks for every little thing, hon. Uh, look, I hate to keep repeating myself, but if you waited for the 10th of November for your birthday, why wouldn't there be any celebration? What's to celebrate about a funeral? Good night. I took the stairs behind the elevator. The second floor hallway was a dark, narrow passage with a raw electric light casting a faint glow over the double rows of sealed doors. Ruth was already opening her door halfway down the hall. As I started toward her, she reached into the room and snapped on the lights. No! I ran the rest of the way. Her room was a dismal cubicle of curling wallpaper and cracked calcimine. She was at the mirror, frantically rubbing the glass with her hands, trying to erase a message scrawled in lipstick. Vivian will keep her promise. I've got to get it off and erase it. All over the room, the same scribbling in red lipstick, like the meaningless doodlings of a child. How did she find me? How did she find me? Oh, come on now, Ruth, stop it. She was in here, she was in here, in here, Stop it. Stop it. It's all right, now. It's okay. Now, come on. Now, that's better. I... I only moved into this dump this morning. I didn't even unpack yet. I didn't tell anyone I was here. I used a phony name, and she still found me. Vivian? That's her name? Yeah. Well, who is she? Vivian... Vivian Clark. We were kids together. Gee. Kids are crazy. But they don't know about the world would fill a book. Little girls. You know, they got a lot of fancy notions about how life's going to be. Yeah. We were nine, ten years old. Lived in a down-at-the-heel neighborhood. A lot of room and houses and little hotels. And, and there were these dames who was always getting drunk and fighting. What do I have to do, draw you a picture? No, no picture, Ruth. And then... One day, some cops brought the wagon for one of these women. She was celebrating her 30th birthday in a big way, shouting, cursing. They came and dragged her away. And she was ugly. So ugly. And I remember we, we stuck our fingers in our ears not to hear her screaming. And the way she looked, I, I said to Vivian, promise me if I ever turn out like that, for my 30th birthday, you'll kill me. Kids, the ideas they have. 
How corny can you get? <laughs> All right, Ruth. All right. Come on now. Yeah. Gee, I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's and you think that Vivian... I don't think. I know. You saw what she wrote on the mirror. Vivian will keep a promise. Yes, but but look at the walls, the scribbling. It's like a kid. A kid? Yeah. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head, hon. What do you think's got me half crazy? A kid, all right. Vivian Clark died when she was 11 years old. That was a small statement that called for coffee, strong and black. So I took Ruth downstairs to a deserted little restaurant next to the hotel. And after a while, Ruth looked up from the coffee. You, um... You you think I'm nuts, huh? Well, I haven't decided. Finish the coffee. You saw her handwriting? Yeah, but... Don't you understand? I've talked to this kid. I've heard her voice. Take it easy. Sure, sure. Just like that. Take it easy. Nothing to it. Look, sweetie pie, I'm so close to flipping my lid from these last three weeks. Oh, that's when it started? Yeah, yeah, three weeks. Oh, who was it? Wait a minute. It couldn't be three weeks. My head. Talk about a merry-go-round. There isn't an asylum in the county that wouldn't give me free room and board for life. (laughs) Three weeks. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what it's been. I was out in the town with Jerry Myers. Jerry Myers? Yeah, a little tin horn character in St. Louis. With the silk white muffler and the talcum powder on his face and pearl gray spats. Always good to his mother. <laughs> Just the same, you want to hear something personal? Of all the guys I've ever known, I still got a warm spot for little Jerry. He's really got a good heart. You'd like him. Uh-huh. So anyway, we, we were out on the town having a time. You ask anybody in St. Louis about Ruthie Martin... Live, laugh, and be merry. That's my own private philosophy. That's a good philosophy. Yeah. Until you come to that other part, tomorrow we die. Now, Ruth, knock off with that. Oh, gee. I I was never like this before. You were telling me about three weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. that... That night, that, that first night. Boy, did I get stinking that night. Me and Jerry... Sweet little guy. It must have been 4 a.m. when I got back to my room and I just flopped across my bed and passed out like I'd been hit with an atom bomb or something. Anyway, I I don't know if an hour passed or a minute or even a second. But all of a sudden, I knew the phone was ringing. I didn't want to wake up, but it kept ringing and I knew if I didn't answer it, it'd ring all night. Yeah? Hello, Rosie. Hmm? I called to tell you I'm going to keep my promise, like I said. What? What promise? You got a birthday in three weeks. So? You'll be 30 years old. Hey, that's a lie, a rotten lie. I'm 26 and I can prove it with birth certificates and other papers. Who who is this? You know. You sound like a kid. Sure. What's a kid calling in the middle of the night for? Who is this? Don't you really recognize my voice? Vivian Clark. I don't know any... What? Who did you say? 
I just wanted to remind you of your birthday. Hey, what kind of a gag is this? Vivian Clark is dead. And to tell you I'll be seeing you like I promised. You remember my promise, Ruthie? When I woke up the next morning, I thought it was all a dream. And by nighttime, I'd forgotten all about it. And then, just like before, right after I'd fallen asleep, the phone again. This is Vivian. Look, who's ever pulling this lousy gag, I think it stinks. And if you keep on doing it, I'm going to make plenty of trouble. Vivian, and I promised. Stop it, will you? Stop it! From then on, every night a call. After about ten days of that, I couldn't take it anymore. So one night on the spur of the moment, I decided to clear out. Without saying anything to anybody, I packed a bag and grabbed the night train for Kansas City. I got in around 2 a.m. And, and just looking at a town where no one knew me or anything about me made me feel better. I found a nice hotel. I took a hot shower and <laughs> had a little nightcap. And, and I really felt okay. Ready for the first good night's sleep in a long time. Snapped off the lights and I crawled into bed. And then I saw I was looking right at the phone on the nightstand. It gave me the jitters, you know. I reached for the phone to put it on the floor out of sight. But the minute I touched it... Well, I, I told myself it was just the manager wanting to know if the room was okay. Who else could it be? No one knew I was here. Just the same, my fingers really shook as I reached for the receiver. Uh, yeah? This is Vivian. And that's how it's been ever since, Mr. Stone. I see. I bet I moved 15 times in the last 10 days, from KC to Duluth to, to Chicago. And she still follows you. And tomorrow, for a birthday present, she catches up with me. She catches up with me, Mr. Stone. Look, uh, Ruth, I, I know a fella. He's a nice, friendly guy. He happens to be a doctor. Oh, I was waiting for that one. A real nice guy, complete with straight jacket and butterfly net, huh? Oh, no, no, Oh, it's wrong. all in my head. Sure, sure thing. I didn't say but that. But you saw yourself what she did to my room. If I'm nuts, so are you. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Well, I'm not going to any witch doctor, so let's move on to suggestion number two. Well, well, let's face it. It, it is possible that someone is behind this. That somehow or other you've been followed from place to place. For Pete's sake, how? With mirrors? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, I I'm sorry, hon. Okay. You got a nickel? Huh? I'm going to call an old gal named Mrs. Ferguson who works the night shift on the rewrite desk down at the paper. Why? Well, you're going to have to borrow her apartment for tonight. Uh, I don't get it. We'll go straight to the apartment from here. You won't go back to the hotel to check out or even pick up your suitcase. B now, I'll do it for you later. We'll even give the cabbie a phony address a few blocks away from the apartment. We'll walk the rest of the way. There won't be a chance for any other person in all the world to know where you are. And if Vivian Clark calls you there, well, baby, we're both going to this doctor. Hey. This place is kind of cute. Yeah. Y you get so tired of hotel rooms. They're lonely. Uh-huh. Say, you think she's got any aspirin in the medicine cabinet? I got a headache to end all headaches. Boy, I'm really knocked out. 
Well, why don't you take a hot bath and try to get some sleep? I'll go and get your suitcase. I just hope the minute you're gone, the phone don't ring. It won't ring, Ruthie. Uh, double lock the door. Hey. Hmm? Why are you doing all this? Oh, well, I'm a... I'm an overage Boy Scout. No, I'm serious. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe you've been hit on the head long enough. Maybe that's it. Look, before you go, would you... Would you kiss me? N- not hard, not ugly, just... Soft and sweet. For luck. For luck, Ruthie. I went on back to the Royal Hotel for Ruthie's suitcase. Ruthie's door was unlocked just as we'd left it. I opened the door, went into the room, was searching for the light switch when I saw the cigarette glowing in the dark. I whirled around trying to reach the door. Hold everything, you. I got a snub-nosed 38 and an awful temper. So? Where's the little lady? Ruth or Vivian? I'm a fellow who likes a straight answer, you. Where's Ruth Martin? I'd much rather talk about Vivian. Are you behind us? What are you done with Ruth Martin? Listen to me. I'm going to be very distinct and precise, you, like H.V. Callenmore or somebody. Once more, I'm going to ask you. Then I'll remain silent for a reasonable length of time. Then if you have an answer to my satisfaction, I'll kill you. What are you done with Ruth Martin? Sport, take my word for it. I never been more serious in my life. Where is she? Where is she? Where's Ruth? Will you tell me, please? Please, mister. Toss the snub-nosed 38 on the floor and we'll talk. I... I haven't harmed her. She's okay. Where is she? The gun. No. That's the only way. All right. Thanks. Where is she? You sure she's okay? Why'd she run off like wait, that? Wait, wait. Let's get some light on the subject. Better. Oh, I'm sorry I got so much of my blood on your white silk muffler. Oh, that's okay. I got half a dozen more that I... Oh, you're being numerous. Yeah, that's what I'm being, all right. Talcum powder, pearl gray spats, good heart. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose love sometimes softens the picture. Huh? Jerry Myers, huh? Yeah, that's right. Hey, where's Ruthie? Who are you? A reporter. She turned to me for help. What's with that screwy babe? What's the matter with that babe? She tilted or something? What do you mean? Well, I've been going loony trying to find her. Then tonight I finally traced her to this dive. I come here, she's gone. I wait and you show up. I, I thought, well, you must have done something to the broad. Oh, no. No, she's okay. Love. Hmm? What you said before, something about love. Oh, did I? What kind of routine is that, you? Ruthie don't love nothing but a good time, and the same for me, so don't make a motion picture of it. Hey, where is she, you? You ever hear her mention a kid named Vivian Clark? The name's totally unfamiliar. Uh-huh. When I spotted you in this room, I started thinking maybe that there was a racket going on. I don't follow you. The only thing I don't get is this scribbling on the wall. Oh, yeah. Hey, what about that stuff? Looks like it. A... I'll get it. Yeah. This is Vivian. What? Hey, what's the matter, you? I know where Ruth is. I'm going to see her now. It's her birthday, and I promised I would. Hello. 
Hello. Hey, hey, what is it? Tell me. Come on, quick. Hurry, will you? Yeah. Ruthie! Ruthie! I'm back here in the bedroom, Mr. Stone. The bedroom? Don't let it trouble you. Come on. What is it? Is something wrong? Jerry! Hey, Bagelhead, where you been? I spent maybe 200 bucks digging you up. You you scram into the other room. I, I don't like you to see me like this. Let me put myself together. Well, you look okay. I look like something left over from the flood. Now, go on, get out of here. Well, Where's the suitcase, Mr. Stone? I got all my makeup Ruth, in. anybody call here? Well, if you mean... Uh, that certain party. No. I got a hunch. I, I really lost her this time. Nobody ring the bell? Anything like that? Uh-uh. Well, maybe you fell asleep, didn't hear. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't find the aspirins. Oh, I got a headache. Shouldn't happen to two dogs. One couldn't stand it. <laughs> Same old Ruthie. Yeah. Big deal. Are you sure about no calls? Hey, what's all the questions and answers about, huh? Come on, tell me. Nothing, nothing. But the way you... <sighs> Boy, my head. I almost passed out from the pain. Look, Jerry, would you be a doll and run down to the drugstore for some aspirin? What do you think, Mr. Stone? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Be sure and lock the door on your way out. Why? Hey, what's going on? I'll be right back, and you try to relax, Ruthie. A <laughs> uh, heart of gold he's got. Yeah. Now, look, Ruthie, I want you to really think. Is there any reason why someone would want to trick you with this Vivian Clark routine? Why? What reason would they have for... What's that? The mantel clock. Oh, it's 12 o'clock. That makes it the 10th of November. Happy birthday. She said she'd be here on my birthday. Well, don't worry about that. (laughs) Jerky little kids. Thinking the world's all pure and noble. When you're ten years old, you're really a square. When does that clock stop? Pretty soon. I feel shaky and cold. I feel my hands, they're like death. Oh, you're all right. My head is throbbing, so throbbing. I'll get you a cold towel, make you feel better. I went to the funeral. Saw him put her in the ground. In her nicest white gingham dress, I saw him bury her. Now, you try to relax. I'll get the towel, I'll be right back. Happy birthday, Ruthie. My hand turned to ice on the doorknob. I felt something cold flop over in my stomach and lie still. I told you I'd be here. I started turning around to look back into the room, and it was torture, agony. Because I knew there wouldn't be anybody in the room but Ruthie. All these years I waited to keep my promise, and now I have. It was like suddenly being catapulted into the middle of a nightmare. Her eyes were misted over. Her face was bloodless. Her lips moved, but the voice of a child came up. It's in the purse, Ruthie. In the purse. And now, like a sleepwalker, Ruth was crossing the room for her purse on the dresser. And now her hand dipped into the purse and came out with a gun. Put the gun down. Hurry, Ruth. Don't let him stop Give me the gun. You let me alone. You let me alone. I promised, Ruth. The gun. I promised. What was that? Ruthie, you, uh... What happened? What are you doing with my gun? It went off by mistake. Look what it did to Mrs. Ferguson's mirror. It... It woke me up? Yeah. I feel funny. Weak. 
so tired. Will you lie down again and... Don't laugh at me, but... I feel like having a good old-fashioned cry. And I don't know why. Hey, what happened? I heard a shot. <laughs> Ruthie. Hey, what is it, you? Hey, come on, don't cry. Come on, baby. Hey, don't cry, you. I'll let her cry, Jerry. Poor kid, she's got it coming. It would be nice to say that that was the end of the story and that Ruthie and her Prince Charming went back to St. Louis, you, and lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, Grimm's fairy tales are, well, they're a lot different than Grimm life. But at least now Ruthie's got a chance. That doc that she was so afraid of, the one who wouldn't know a butterfly net from a burlap bag, he's helping her. And Jerry of the silk mufflers and the good heart is helping her, too. And with luck and time, Ruthie will come to understand why the Vivian of her childhood came back to haunt her. No, we can never be as good and pure as we're determined to be at ten. But neither are we so hopeless and lost as we sometimes think we are at thirty. I don't know. If life was nothing but a fairy tale, it... Might be pretty boring. Just think of nothing to look forward to but to live happily ever and ever and ever after. Hmm? <laughs> Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by Larry Marcus with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Ruth and Vivian was played by Joan Banks. Others featured were Tudor Owen, Lou Krugman, and Jeff Corey. Don Rickles speaking. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Saturday morning, enjoy another great half-hour program on the Somerset Mom Radio Theater. This Saturday morning, the magic curtain of radio drama rises on the radio production of Mom's famous short story, A String of Beads. The Somerset Mom Radio Theater will feature actress Geraldine Fitzgerald. Hear the Somerset Mom Radio Theater this Saturday morning and keep tuned to NBC now entering its second quarter century as a great entertainment medium. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show.
Welcome back. What a great performance by Joan Banks. I think that's probably my favorite uh, work she's done. Just did a great job uh, playing this character. In some ways, the solution to the case was kind of obvious, but they cast enough doubt in what was obvious to really make you curious. Uh, the episode did something that a lot of uh, media productions were doing in the 1950s in trying to uh, destigmatize going to a psychologist or dealing with mental health issues so that people would actually go out and get help, which is still kind of a struggle today. Uh, this is uh, just a fantastic uh, episode, and it does highlight how much we're really missing with all of those Lost Not Beat episodes. With this episode, we're missing 36 episodes between 1951 and 1952, and that's probably the biggest block of high-quality dramatic programming that is uh, missing. Because Nightbeat is just that good. There are, of course, some other series we played here that I think are pretty close to that, but uh, this uh, 36 episodes is, are more episodes that are, that are missing from Philip Marlowe or Dragnet, and more episodes than are missing from Bob Bailey's entire five-plus-year run on who, uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And when you hear these performances, uh, this one with Joan Banks and then the expectant father with uh, William Conrad, it's just such a shame that we can't hear all of them. But thank goodness for what we do have. Uh, we will be back next Monday with another night beat as we resumed uh, where we were prior to the Christmas episode in the summer of 52. And join us back here tomorrow for Rocky Fortune. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And remember, you can always contact Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.